Good morning, men, and welcome to the Everyman Livestream. My name is Jason Park, and you are here as part of a multi-part study that's been titled Overtaken. We have seen multiple examples of people and stories of the Bible of men, what happens when they are overtaken, and the behaviors that, that manifest in their lives, and the changes that they make within themselves, but changes amongst people that are around them. If you go back to the very first week, we saw what happened in the upper room when the disciples were blessed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were overtaken to the point that they spoke different language, that their behaviors changed. And that's what should be happening when we are men that are overtaken. It should be manifesting in our lives in behaviors, in behaviors. It's not just what we think. It's not just what we feel, but it's, it's how we act. In the Gospels, it says that we will be known by the fruit that we produce. We won't be known by what we believe. We won't be, be known by what we feel. We'll be known by what we do and the actions that we do in our life, which brings us to part five of our study. And this week, we're looking at how we can continue to be overtaken, how we can overtake and be overtaken by God's love and by overtaken God's, by God's power and what that looks like in our lives. We are surrounded by people all in our lives, where we work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, of people that are on journeys of their lives, the journeys of life that they would like to, to believe would lead them to success. But that journey is long and that journey is challenging and it's filled with, with obstacles and hills and valleys and where it takes you through tunnels that are dark and at times when you can't even see the finish. But we're so far into that challenge that, that we can't think about quitting or going back. And at the same time, the, the finish seems so far out that we can't even imagine finishing it. And we need help within that time in our life. We need help as we're in the middle of that challenge in our life. I'm reminded of a time many years ago, it was about 15 years ago, I was participating in an Ironman distance race. It was my second race. It was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And going into that race, I had experiencing a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of an injury, an IT band injury on my right side. And every time in training, this would creep up late into my, my run. So an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim and a 112 mile bike ride, 26.2 mile run. So I expected the injury to come on late in the run and I figured I'll just figure it out when it comes along and hopefully my mind will be able to battle through that. On this particular day, it was very challenging. The race course um, was extremely hot. It was over 100 degrees parts of the day. And on this particular day, at mile 86 specifically, it felt like somebody had shot me in the leg. And it, I had been shot or electrocuted. Something had happened that was very painful. I had 26 miles left to go on the bike, and it took me two hours. So for those of you that are good at math, 26 miles in two hours is 13 miles an hour where I needed to be closer to 18 or 19 miles an hour over the course of that 112 miles. I literally could only pedal with one leg going back into transition. I still had to run 26.2 miles. I could barely ride my bike and the doubt started to creep in. And I started to get really worried about my ability to finish this race. One of the biggest fears that any endurance athlete has is at the end of that race, when they post the results, three letters show up next to your name. And those letters are D and F. 
did not finish. And I thought that that was a reality on this particular day. So I went into the final transition area. I changed into my running clothes and come out of that transition. And I'm, I'm beginning to walk the 26.2 miles of this race. My dad's there. Now, he knows that something's up because the bike took me far too long than it should. He's walking next to me. And my dad says to me, you got this, Jay. You got this. And I was worried. And I said, Dad, I, I, don't, I don't think I can run a marathon right now. And he says, you don't have to run a marathon. Now, my dad had been a coach my entire life, so I know some words of wisdom were coming my way. He said, you don't have to run a marathon. You see that light pole in front of you? Can you run to that light pole? I said, I think so. He said, well, let's go. So off we went, we jogged to that next light pole. And along the way, he's telling me, you don't have to run a marathon. You just gotta, gotta go to the next light pole. And we got to that next light pole and we stopped, we started walking and I left him. He said, you walk to the next one, you run to the next one after that. Now in this particular race course, there was four laps. So I was gonna see my dad three more times. He says, we're gonna run to more light poles. You see in that moment, 26.2 miles couldn't be reduced by my dad. He couldn't change the challenge that I was in, but he could change the way I responded to that challenge. And he could offer me encouragement. He could offer me encouragement because that's what I needed. I couldn't have the obstacle be different, but I could respond differently to that obstacle. And that happened by just a few words by my dad. But, but who's the type of people that are going to look past their own challenges and be present to encourage other people. Well, I'll tell you what, that's you. That's me, because we're enduring challenges right now ourselves. But there are people that are around us that need our encouragement. And we have been commissioned to step into a space where other people need help. They need encouragement. We can't change the obstacle, but we can offer them encouragement when they are in the middle of that challenge of their life. So they can be able to see, like me on that particular day, they can be able to visualize the finish. They could be able to visualizing themselves coming out of it. Being men who are overtaken are encouragers. They are encouragers. Now, hopefully you've uploaded the notes from the Facebook page or the Everyman website. And this is a great way for you to, to document things as, as you're coming along, to, to fill in, to maybe do a study with other people later on, or just jam them in your Bible. And one day you'll open that up and be reminded of notes that you were taking. But on your notes, we provided you with the definition of encourage, the word encourage. And it reads, to make someone more determined hopeful or confident, making them more likely to do something, to spur on, to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. When we encourage, we instill courage into somebody. It's a result of our own courage. It's our result, result, a result of our own confidence and our own faith in responding to a calling in our lives to encourage others. We transmit some of the courage in our lives and we instill it into somebody else. We add courage to one another. We make them courageous as a result of us responding to be men who've been overtaken. And there have been many examples, many models of this in our lives as it pertains to God, his son, and all the different believers that have come from the Bible, and especially the first followers. The first example of that is in Matthew 3, 16 to 17, and it reads, The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened, and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove descending 
and landing on him, and along with the Spirit, a voice. This is my Son chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. So here we have John the Baptist. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he's describing to people, saying things like, hey, I baptize you with the water. Something, someone's coming after me whose shoe I'm not even qualified to carry is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Jesus walks up and he tells John, hey, I want you to baptize me. And John says, hey, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus knows that this is something that has been written in the past. And this is something that needs to be brought to fulfillment in that moment. But more importantly, he's affirming what John is doing. He's affirming what John is doing. Here's, we have the beginning of Christ's ministry that's being kicked off by John the Baptist. And here's Jesus in support of that. He's supporting, he's affirming John's behavior in front of all these believers. So John lowers him down and brings him up out of the water. And who else shows up? Our Father in heaven who makes the observation of his son, who makes the observation in front, of John, in front of John the Baptist and all those believers and offers encouragement to this powerful moment in, in history, in powerful moment that would go on forever. The new covenant has begun and it would begin with Christ's ministry and is offered up in that moment of encouragement and that instilling encouragement into the believers of that time. A second example is from Revelations 3 verses 2 to 6, as we read John's letter to the church in Sardis. So in the beginning of the book of Revelation, John sends seven letters to seven different churches, offering them advice, encouragement, criticism. And here he is speaking to the church of Sardis. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will accomplish his name Acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. John is writing to this church who has this kind of public perception, this public reputation of being alive, but he's show, showing to them that they are not alive, that they are dead. He's encouraging them that they need to waken what remains and is about to die, but he's speaking to a specific group. He's speaking to the believers in this group have not lost their focus. And he describes them as, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, that their clothes are white, their clothes have been washed by the blood of the lamb as opposed to everybody else who's, who's laundered their, their clothes in some combination of what they learned as a believer, but what the world is teaching them. And to those, 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 that small group of believers, that small group of encouragers, he's telling them, don't walk away from everybody else, but you're in that community of believers. You have this capacity to strengthen what remains. We are like these believers whose, whose clothes have not been soiled, 
who, who our clothes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that we are called to encourage. We are called to strengthen what remains so that we can be the men we're called to be and we can encourage the people around them, people around us, so they can do the same. So the third and final example here is from Acts 11. Acts 11, verses 20 to 24, which reads, Some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who had come to Antioch, started talking to Greeks, giving them the message of the Master Jesus. God was pleased with what they were doing and put a stamp of approval on it. Quite a number of Greeks believed and turned to the Master. When the church in Jerusalem got wind of this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check on things. As soon as he arrived, he saw that God was behind it and in it all. He threw himself with them. He got behind them, urging them to stay with it the rest of their lives. He was a good man that way, enthusiastic and confident in the Holy Spirit's ways. The community grew large and strong in the master. So we're in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. The church has begun to spread. And Jerusalem had taken notice that there's been this transition that occurred. You see, when the believers first landed in this particular area, their focus was on, was on Jewish people and Greek-speaking Jews, and they had made this transition to begin to teaching to the Gentiles. And this was exciting to the church in Jerusalem, and they saw that this transition was occurring, and they, they, need, they needed to bolster the efforts there, so they're going to send somebody from that church, some powerful influencer that we know to be Barnabas, and it's going to offer up some great protection and some great encouragement to these people so they can continue along their journey, continue along their journey to be witnesses to what had been done. And Barnabas is described by Paul on three different occasions. On this particular passage, he says he's a good man. He also says he's he's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. But earlier in the book of Acts, in verse 4, verse 36, he's called the son of encouragement. People like Barnabas are needed in the church. They're needed in the church to, to be encouragers, to, to be peacemakers. You know, in, when you look in commentary in the book of Acts, Barnabas is described as, as a bridge builder, a bridge builder that's connecting the people and connecting the family of God. But Barnabas, as a result of him being described as a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and a son of encourager, he didn't think about himself. Barnabas brought out the best in people. Barnabas was an encourager. He was the son of encouragers and the son of encouragement. So I want to make three observations regarding true encouragement. And once again, hopefully you have your notes in front of you. The first is true encouragement has no conditions. Encouragement should be offered up and is unconditional. It's not conditional upon us receiving some reciprocal behavior or thing that we get as a result of us offering that encouragement. It has no conditions. Secondly, true encouragement makes no demands. Makes no demands. And then third, true encouragement has no agenda. It has no agenda. Now, when you think about the person that I just described, the person that has no conditions, 
that has no demands, that has no agenda, that is a person that is selfless. That is a person who is not thinking about themselves. They are thinking about the person who needs encouragement. You see, the enemy doesn't want you to do that. The enemy wants our, our encouragement to have conditions, for it to have demands associated with it, and for there to be an agenda associated with it. Because when we can introduce just enough of ourself in that moment, we take the focus off the person. We take the focus off the person. When I start to think about how this moment impacts me, and I start to have a conversation with, say, such as, how, how much do I want to be inconvenienced in this moment when I have to encourage this person? You know, when you enter into somebody's challenge of their lives, and, and, and they're in a devastating point of their lives, let's, let's say it's somebody in your life that has experienced great loss, they've, they've, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, when you enter into that space, you experience that. You, you, you feel the challenge associated with that. But the minute you start asking yourself, what, what, what does this feel like to me? And, and then am I willing to experience this? Or would I just kind of keep myself out of it because it's just too much of an inconvenience. As soon as you introduce yourself, then it becomes a problem. You start to talk yourself out of it. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. Wants you to introduce enough of yourself so you have a conversation where you talk yourself out of it. When we have no conditions associated with it, when we make no demands, we don't have an agenda, we just focus on the person that needs encouragement. And that's what we need to focus on, is focus on them. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. So see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that you not son of, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now the NIV says it says to encourage. Other translations say to warn, exhort. But in this particular passage, it's saying encourage one another, and the result of that is people are not deceived by sin. That by way of our encouragement, we can prevent people being deceived by sin. Now, you can't necessarily take the challenge away. You can't take the sin away. But what you can do is you can take the opportunity for that sin to deceive. Because like I said in my example of the challenge I had in that Ironman distance race, that the terrain had not changed, but what had changed was what was going on in my head. The cloud of doubt had overwhelmed me, and my dad shows up, he offers me those words of encouragement, and it goes away. When we are there to, to encourage, we are, when, when we are there to warn, we are there to exhort, something happens and we protect people. We protect people from them being overwhelmed by their own doubt. We protect them from being overwhelmed and being deceived by sin, we allow them to be encouraged to fight through it. As, as men who have been overtaken, as men who are encouragers, we prevent that sin, we prevent that devil from entering into that space in their life. And that's what the empower, the, the, the example of, of encouragement does. I'm, I'm reading a C.S. Lewis book called The Screw Tape Letters right now. And the screw tape letters are exactly that. It's, it's a collection of 31 letters. So screw tape is a is a senior demon and he's writing to his nephew 
who is who's younger and less experienced demon. And Wormwood is his name, who's been charged with, with guiding a man. And in the book, um, the man is referred to as the patient. And his goal is to guide the patient toward, in quotes, our father below, which is, which is Satan, and away from the enemy, which is God. So Screwtape is mentoring Wormwood how he can take this man away from God and guide him to the enemy. In this particular chapter that I was just reading this week, Screwtape is mentoring him um, through a time when, when this man, when this patient is enduring challenge. And it's described by Screwtape as he's in a trough. He's in a difficulty in his life. And, and Screwtape is mentioning how vulnerable the man is and what a great opportunity is to take advantage of this time that he would turn away from God or any notion of God and just be overwhelmed and be focused by the challenge. But Screwtape says something to Wormwood. He warns him. He says, you need to keep him away. You need to keep the man away from experienced Christians. Because just like this time is a great opportunity for the enemy to engage this trough that this man is in, that the encouragement that believers, that experienced Christian believers offer up make just as much of a difference. And us as encouragers in our lives, when we enter into a space where somebody is in a trough, who's in a challenge, when, when they seem to be overwhelmed by the power of the enemy, the power of our encouragement, the power of our ability to engage with them in their life is even more powerful than it would be if they weren't during those, in the midst of those challenging times. But we have that opportunity as believers to be encouraging. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. To edification. That word is to build up. When we edify one another, we, we build each one or um, each each other up. We should have two you know, categories of relationships in our lives. We have, we have non-believers and we have believers. To the non-believers, we evangelize to the non-believers. We, we create a connection to their creator and, and Jesus Christ, right? We introduce them to Jesus, we, we evangelize to them. To the believer, we edify them, we build them up, we make them stronger, we encourage them, we lighten their load. And we are called to do that as men of God. Men of God, it says, lead, uh, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So the big idea here is, is us as encouragers. The big idea here, and here's your, your fill-in here on your notes, it says, encouragement is a spiritual weapon that we must use for others. Encouragement is a spiritual weapon that we must use for others. We've been overtaken. We are spirit-empowered men. We have something that we can share with one another. We have, we have this courage that has come about as, as a result of us being spirit-empowered men, and we can instill that. We can encourage others. So spirit-empowered men encourage believers in community. Hebrews 10, 23 to 24 says, so let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worship, 
together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching spurring each other other on i love how eugene peters says let's get inventive so i I have a challenge for you in this moment i have a challenge for you in this moment i i want to encourage you to do something i want you to think of somebody in your life that needs encouragement i want you to think of somebody in your life that is enduring some type of challenge right now now If you have people in your life, somebody in your life is enduring challenge. We're we're surrounded by it. Sadly, we are surrounded by people and being endured by challenge. And I say that because that is sad. But this is an opportunity for us to be encouragement. My challenge for you is after we are done today, I want you to reach out to that person. And I want you to say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. How can I help you? I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. How can I help you? Just by you doing that, you are going to bring a blessing to somebody's life. Now, remember what we said when we described the person that doesn't have an agenda, that it's not conditional and makes no demands. Don't be worried about how they answer the question what can I do to help? Because whatever they ask you, you're going to be able to do. It's going to be even less significant than you thought it would be, if it's anything. But don't miss out on the opportunity. You see, when we see somebody who needs encouragement, that's one thing. But it means nothing until you reach out. It's the, Being overtaken is only recognized when there's behavior that's associated with it, right? when there's behavior associated with it. Remember what I said, the gospel says, we'll be known by the fruit that we produce, not by what we think, what we believe, what we say, what we've memorized, but by what we do. So do it. Don't think about doing it. And you will bless somebody today. So I pray that you have an example. And I pray as soon as you're done, you're going to reach out to that person to offer up encouragement because that's what a spirit-empowered man does. Secondly, spirit-empowered men discipline their minds and mouth to encourage. We discipline our minds and our mouths to encourage. Proverbs 18.21 reads, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Death and life, that's how powerful the tongue is. That's what the the tongue is capable of. James said that the tongue might be um, one of the smallest parts of the body, but, but it boasts great things. In the passage that, that follows that, he says that the, the tongue can, start, uh, can spark a fire that is, that is massive. That's the power of the words that we speak. The power of the, the words that we speak, and they, they offer power in that moment for somebody. And we should be losing it, using it for life. We should be using it to, to lighten somebody's load as opposed to something that's far more abusive and far more destructive. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear. When I discipline my mind, when I discipline my mouth, and I do that because I know the power of what can come out of my mouth can produce life or death, 
I protect that situation. I protect that person from me or the people that I, the person I'm capable of being, the selfish, the prideful, right? The, the, the person that is just focused on what I need in the situation. And when I can discipline that, I can be focusing on what the thing I need to focus on. That's the person that's in front of me. As I said it earlier, the devil wants me to focus on me. The devil, prior to me stepping into a situation of encouragement, wants me to ask the question, what does this mean to me? What do I get out of this? How much am I being inconvenienced? Like I said earlier, as soon as you start that, the soon, as soon as you start that conversation, there's, there's going to be a problem. You're going to inhibit yourself from offering up encouragement to somebody. Discipline our minds. We discipline our mouths so that we know how to use our time, so that we know how to use our tre treasures, so we know how to use our talents. And we see the benefit of taking our own courage and instilling that into somebody else so that you can make them be encouraged while they're fighting this fight that they're in. So spirit-empowered men discipline their minds and mouth to encourage. Next, spirit-empowered men use their spiritual gifts to encourage. Use their spiritual gifts in to encourage. Now, we keep using this word, encouragement. It's one of the greatest gifts you could ever get somebody. Some of the, the most powerful, most meaningful mentors in my life, they're brilliant. They know God's word. They have all kinds of, of fruits of the spirit. They have all kinds of gifts that are, that are listed uh, in scriptures. But the most powerful gift they give to me is their, the gift of their encouragement that they look past their own situation, they look past the challenges that they're in their life, and they send me encouragement. But spirit-empowered men, we use our spiritual gifts for that purpose. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 and 26 reads, So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these must be done to strengthen the church. All of us have spiritual gifts. Some of us have a few more than others. None of us have all of them. But collectively, in community, more than likely, all those gifts are represented. And the purpose of those gifts are to build up the church, are to, to strengthen the church. Those, those gifts should not be used to edify us. They should not be used to edify us. They're, they're used to, to build up the church. Paul continues here in 2 Corinthians 12, 19. says, perhaps you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No, we tell you this as Christ's servants. And with God as our witness, everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. So the question question I have for myself, and the question I have for you. We have a decision, and the decision is who will be the one who strengthens or who will be the one who weakens others. When you enter into a space in somebody's life and they're carrying something, and they're carrying something very heavy, and you come alongside them and you help them carry that, it becomes lighter for them. You make them stronger. But if you choose not to help them, that thing that could have been lighter as a result of your contribution, it gets heavier. So as a result of choices that we make, we have a choice to make something, a challenge in somebody's life lighter or to make it heavier. We are called to lighten loads. 
We are called to encourage people within the challenges that they were in, not because we can make this go away, but we can help them carry it. 2 Corinthians 12, 19 says, uh, correction, 2 Corinthians 10, 8 says, every bit of my commitment is for the purpose of building you up. After all, not tearing you down. We've been overtaken. And as a result of us being overtaken, it should manifest into the lives of others. We should be encouragers. We should be looking for people in our lives that need encouragement. I already planted a seed of a name. There's other people. As you go into work, as you walk in the hall, as you're at the gym, as you're in your own house, we can pay close attention to the people in our lives and live out our calling to be encouragers so that we can instill courage into somebody's life that needs it amidst that challenge that they're in. Like all the other conclusions to this sequence of studies, we have a prayer. It'll show up on the screen and it's also on the notes. Now, these are words were not written by you, but I encourage you to make this your prayer. And if you have the notes in front of you, and of course, if you can read them on the screen, I strongly encourage you to read them with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for reminding me that in our family, we encourage each other. Thank you for modeling this in the Father and the Son and in your uplifting works through your people. Help me to remember to use my gifts and skills that you have given me to encourage others. Help me to listen well to other believers so that I can encourage, celebrate with, and strengthen my brothers and sisters well. Help me to make every effort not to compete with any Christian, but to connect with them to encourage their faithfulness to you. Heal the parts of me that cause me to withhold my encouragement from others. Reveal the hurts and resentments, the wounds and the insecurities that create jealousy, envy, division, and personality conflicts. Love me out of those immature places of character so that I can be free to encourage those around me, especially those who are followers of Jesus. From this place of freedom and healing in Christ, I accept my commission to exercise your authority to strengthen every believer I meet for his benefit versus my own. Thank you for this wonderful mission of giving encouragement to others. Fill me and use me to raise the spirit of my brothers and sisters, even as you has raised mine in Christ for the sake of the body. In Jesus' name, amen. There you go. You see what it's like to be overtaken. You have your challenge. Find somebody that needs encouragement and go offer it. Thanks for being here. We'll see you again soon.